Well, if you have your Bibles, we are going to continue where we left off two weeks ago, Matthew chapter 14. We're going to be looking at the first 21 verses. If you need a Bible, just raise your hand and we'll get a Bible right to your seat so you can follow along with us. Matthew chapter 14, verses 1 through 21. Excuse me. All right, starting in verse 1. Actually, I better save my voice. <laughs> so we'll just, we'll just, uh, uh, we'll, we'll hit the verses as we go along um, so that I have a voice. So, Tyler, my message this morning is opportunity knocks. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this time this morning. We thank you for your word. We thank you for this sweet time of worship, God, uh, just to be able to to open our hearts to you in praise and and thanksgiving and worship for all that you do, Lord, in our lives. And Lord, we thank you that we can open up your word this morning and know, uh, Holy Spirit, you are here to teach us and instruct us in all things that we need for this life. And so we pray, Father, that we would have attentive ears to hear what you have for us today that, Lord, you'd bless our time together. Lord, we pray if there's anyone that has joined us that does not yet have a personal relationship with your son, Jesus Christ, they're not born again yet, they're, they're not believers yet, Lord, let today be the day that they see and they hear and they come to know you, Lord, in faith as their Lord and as their Savior. Uh, bless our time together, we pray. Bless the kids downstairs as they're being taught your word as well. We love you. We praise you for this time. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. A study, a story I found rather of a Sunday morning where, where Harry was off and he pulled out of his driveway in his little two-seater convertible. The roof was up because it was raining there and coming down and he's heading for church. But as he turned into the main road, he saw ahead of him three bedraggled figures huddled under a single umbrella at the next bus stop. One was old Mrs. Fletcher. She still insisted on getting to church by herself despite her arthritis, which was always worth, worse in wet weather. Then there was Dr. Jones, the local doctor. A year earlier, Dr. Jones had diagnosed a rare and dangerous disease that Harry had contracted on an overseas holiday, so Harry virtually owed him his life. The third person was Judith. Now, Harry had a crush on Judith for the past six months since she joined the church, but had never had the courage or the opportunity to ask her out. So Harry had about three seconds to decide what he was going to do. There's only one extra seat in his car. Who should he offer it to? But three seconds were more than enough. He pulled to a halt, jumped out, tossed the keys to Dr. Jones, helped Mrs. Fletcher into the passenger seat, then modestly waved goodbye as he huddled close to Judith under the umbrella. Life is filled with opportunities. Every person has them. Now what we do with them is the big question. Do we let them slip by by saying, well, maybe next time uh, there'll be always be another day or do we seize them? We've often heard the phrase carpe diem or seize the day, seize the moment, seize the opportunities. We shouldn't put it off for too long. You may have some wonderful opportunities before you right now and they need to be seized because life is marching by. It's going quick. Like Dr. Leslie Weatherhead calculated the average length of life with the hours of one day in order to illustrate the importance of numbering our days. 
I think it makes it worse because of the time change. But let's, let's look at this. He says, he concluded, if your age is 15 years old, then it's about 1025 in the morning. If your age is 20, about 1134. If your age is 25, it's 1242. If you're 30, then it's 151 p.m. If you're 35, it's 3 p.m. If you're 40, it's 408 p.m. 45, uh, the time is 515, late afternoon. If you're 50, the time is 625. I'm still not here yet. 55, the same as 724, the time is 724 p.m. If you're 60, here I am, the time is 842. If you're 65, the time is 9.51. And if you're 70, the time is 11 o'clock. Now, he doesn't go to 80. I, I don't know why he doesn't do that. But uh, again, with the time change, it even feels worse than what it is. But, but it really puts into perspective how late the day is. We may not have as much time as we think. That's why the psalmist reminds us in Psalm 90, verse 12. So teach us to number our days that we can gain a heart of wisdom. Another translation puts it, teach us the, to realize the brevity, brevity of life so that we may grow in wisdom. I like that one. Paul puts it this one in Ephesians 5, verse 15 and 16. See then that you walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise, redeeming the time because the days are evil. So here in chapter 14 of Matthew, we see that this is a chapter really filled with opportunities. Five of them, if you're taking notes, and I'll give them to you as we go along through the message. Really, Matthew 14, we read the the story of the feeding of the 5,000. A great story, wonderful story. A story that's been repeated in all four of the Gospels. This is one of the most famous miracles that Jesus ever did. And yet this morning, I want to look at it from a, a different perspective as we see this story. Some great opportunities that arise before us today. Now, actually, Matthew 14 got off to a rocky start. Look at verse 1. At that time, Herod the Tetrarch heard the report about Jesus and said to his servants, This is John the Baptist. He's risen from the dead, and therefore these powers are at work in him. For Herod had laid hold of John and bound him and put him in prison for the sake of Herodias, his brother Philip's wife. Now, the Herods makes the Kardashians look like a normal American family. These guys were, were messed up. I mean, uh, uh, Herod, this guy Herod, took his brother's, uh, brother Philip's wife. Now, that was a relationship certainly not pleasing to the Lord. And, and John, he's been making that very clear. Now, remember, Herod was the one that slaughtered all of the male children in Israel when he heard that the new king had been born. Well, this Herod referred to here is Herod Antipas, the son. And that doesn't fall far from the tree, as it's been said. Here, Antipas wasn't as bloodthirsty as his father was, but he was not a great leader in any sense of the word. Herodias was Herod's brother's wife. Herod took her liking to her, got rid of his own wife, and stole Herodias from his brother Philip. Now, John Baptist, John Baptist comes on the scene and confronts him, said, this is not right. You're not only the king of this country and in in a position of authority, but this is outright immoral. This is what you're doing is not pleasing to God. So what does Herod do? Well, he responds by putting John into prison. So do you think that would quiet John? Not at all. Now, even though Herod saw that John was a just man, godly man and a wise man, even though Herod may have been convicted of his sin because of John's words, he refused the opportunity to repent and turn from it. He would not break off that relationship that was displeasing to the Lord. And this brings us 
To our first point, the first opportunity is that for the opportunity to repent. And maybe this morning, you're in the midst of doing some things that are not pleasing to the Lord. Maybe you're in a relationship that God calls sin, or, or maybe you're about to make a business decision, and you're in some negotiation, and you're sure that, that what you're doing is not a little on the shady side. It's not right. It's not pleasing to the Lord. Maybe you're contemplating a certain sin. The Bible does say that sin is pleasurable for a season. But now upon hearing the word of God, you have that opportunity to stop and turn from it. The opportunity to say, Lord, this is not pleasing to you. Therefore, I'm not going to allow this into my life. I pray you take that opportunity today. In Herod's case, you might say he refused to listen to the message and he shot the messenger. You know, I've experienced that. I've not been shot, but I've experienced, you know, when I share with people and you've got to call sin, sin, and, and, and you tell them, hey, this isn't my word, this is God's word. They've not always taken it so, so easily. I've had people leave the church because they didn't like to hear the truth of God's word. They want to go someplace else. They want to find some other counselor where they can, you know, not hear the, the, the truth. They'd rather hear what they want to hear. And I find out later on how their marriage is dissolved and end up in divorce because they refuse to take God's word and repent. But I love the fact that John didn't hold back his message. He didn't compromise the message. Even though uh, he was in prison, he said, this is wrong. God calls it sin and you need to deal with it. You might say that John the Baptist was a politically incorrect prophet, a PIP. John didn't care what anyone thought of him, only what God thought. And I'd have to say, Jesus Christ is probably the most politically incorrect person that ever walked this earth. He said things that were so shocking, so politically incorrect, so different from what the people were used to hearing at that time, that he was accused of being demon-possessed and out of his mind. They accused him of breaking the law. They accused him of being a drunkard, a partier. So politically incorrect that the religious establishment of that day branded him an outlaw. Listen, in the same way, if you are a follower of Jesus Christ this morning, you are going to be politically incorrect at some point in your life. I believe that no other time in the history of the United States have we seen such a spiritual battle going on that we see lately in our world today. The, the right to life of the unborn child and, and the enforcing of laws to, to permit uh, the killing of, of babies after they're born. I, I mean... Uh, you know, the, the, the making it illegal to speak out against sin. You know, the, they lump everything under the guise of racism. Well, you're, you're a racist because of this and because of that. Listen, as, as a follower of Jesus Christ, you have some beliefs that are going to be very politically incorrect by today's standards. But they're going to be beliefs that come directly from the Bible. The Holy Spirit inspired the words of this book, and so we believe them with all of our hearts, but there are beliefs in here that if you live by them, you will face persecution. John speaks out God's word and tells Herod, this marriage is wrong, this relationship is wrong, it's not pleasing to the Lord. What happens? Look at verse 4. Because John had said to him, it's not lawful for you to have her, and although he wanted to put him to death, he feared the multitude because they counted him as a prophet. But when Herod's birthday was celebrated, the daughter of Herodias danced before them and pleased Herod. Therefore, he promised with an oath to give her whatever she might ask. So she, having been prompted by her mother, what a great mom, said, give me John the Baptist's head here on a platter. And the king was sorry. Nevertheless, because of the oaths and because of those who sat with him, he commanded it to be given to her. In other words, he fell 
And he gave into the peer pressure that surrounded his life. He knew that it was wrong and he felt sorry about it. But because of that peer pressure, he continued with it and saw that evil deed done. Recently, maybe you caught this New York Hillsong pastor, Carl Lentz. He was on The View. Don't watch the show, but, but he was asked by co-host, co-host Joy Bear. I guess how you say her name. She says, so it's not a sin in your church to have an abortion. Simple question. To which he replied, well, that's such a broad question to me. I'm going higher. I want to sit with somebody and say, well, no, where do you believe? Or, or That's the kind of conversation we would have, finding out your story, where you're from, what you believe. I mean, God's the judge. People have to live with their own convictions. And then Joy interrupted him and said, so it's not an open and shut case with you. Lentz responded, some people would say it is. I'm trying to teach people who Jesus is first, find out their story before I start picking and choosing what I think is sin in your life. I'd like to know your name. Let me say that John the Baptist would not have been so wishy-washy. Now granted, you know, after getting a whole lot of, of, of backlash from his statement, Pastor Carl posted afterwards, I didn't answer the question directly for a number of reasons, but I do believe abortion is sin. But here's my point. What a missed opportunity. This wasn't a one-on-one counseling session where a, a girl is struggling with abortion in her life and, and trying to find out. This is a public forum wanting to know a pastor's perspective on abortion. In my view, he floundered. You see, folks, we have a choice to either please the Lord with our decisions and our answers or to get pulled down by peer pressure and the political correctness of this world. We have the opportunity right now to do what is right and to stand for what is right. Herod did as well, but he fell. He says, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to kill him anyway. And he murders John, and all the while, somehow thinking like Pilate, he could uh, be absolved from his decisions. Like, oh, you know, I'm just washing my hands from the death of Jesus, say, I have nothing to do with this. No, that's not an option. We all have a responsibility with what we choose to do with Jesus Christ. And here, Herod chose to murder Jesus, his cousin. Look at verse 10. So he sent and had John beheaded in prison, and his head was brought on a platter and given to the girl, and she brought it to her mother. Then his disciples came and took away the body and buried it and went and told Jesus. Can you imagine? You got a daughter bringing a head off of a body to, to her mother. It's just, just disgusting. Here, Herod's indecision really made him a murderer. Instead of heeding the word, he, he tried to silence the word by killing John the Baptist. It'd be a year later when Jesus would be standing before the same Herod, only this time it was the Son of God who was refusing to speak to him. See, Herod, once and for all, had silenced the voice of God because he would not repent. Herod wasted all of his God-given opportunities. Listen, there's going to come a time for some when it will be too late. When they will stand before God and God will look at their lives and say, listen, the whole time you lived, you wanted to have nothing to do with me. So then for all eternity, I'll give you what you've always wanted. Nothing to do with me. Depart from me. I never knew you. Listen, there's still time now. If you don't know Christ, don't miss that opportunity to come to him and find that forgiveness today. Now, I can't help but think that this was a sad day in the life and the ministry of our Lord. And really a horribly discouraging day for his followers and for his disciples. But here's the encouraging thing. Look out, let's look and see how Jesus turns it all around. He's able to turn around even the worst days 
if we just give him the opportunity to do so. Look what happens next in verse 13. When Jesus heard it, he departed from there by a boat to a deserted place by himself. But when the multitudes heard it, they followed him on foot from the cities. And when Jesus went out, he saw a great multitude, and he was moved with compassion for them and healed their sick. Now that is interesting. It's interesting how Jesus responds to what's been going on and what has happened on this particular day and how, again, he's faithful to turn it all around. And that brings us to our second opportunity, the opportunity to know that Jesus is compassionate. He is compassionate. Again, I can't imagine uh, that the Lord was not affected by his cousin and friend's murder. Not a good day. But Jesus is going to turn it all around and perform one of the most amazing miracles found in God's Word. No, that should not come as a surprise to us because if our Lord is anything, He's the ultimate optimist. He loves to take the worst situations, the worst of marriages, the worst of days, the worst of dealings, and and He loves to be given the opportunity to to turn them around for good. I think of Joseph. Do you remember what Joseph said to his brothers back there in the book of Genesis? He says, what you meant for evil, what the enemy meant for evil and destruction, the Lord has turned it around and used it for good. I mean, the news of John's beheading had to, 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 to have an effect on Jesus. This was a horrible thing that took place. And as much as you read it with me in the story that Jesus did get into a boat and he did try to get to a deserted place and he did try to find some private time, it didn't stop him from seeing the, 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 the need of this great multitude of people following him who was hurting as well. So he stopped what he was doing and the time alone that he was having, he, and it says that he's moved with compassion for them and he healed their sick. That word for compassion there means to be moved as to one's bowels. Hence to be moved with compassion. At that time, that was, that was the, the seat of the emotion. That's what they, they talked about. Your bowels were, you know, today we'd say, you know, to be moved to the heart. They have a heart of compassion. But I love this about the Lord. I love uh, the fact that as we give him that opportunity, he loves to bless us with a heart of compassion and mercy and love. You know, there are times in our lives where we're just wiped out and we feel like we can't go on. Maybe it's, maybe it's death in the family. Maybe it's, you know, so you hear some bad news. Or maybe it's a really rough week with colds and flus and sickness going on. Maybe it's just a car breaking down. But listen, what we need to realize is that the Lord is so faithful that as I give him the opportunity to see the condition that I'm in, he then fills me up. He does something about it. Notice Jesus doesn't just have compassion on the multitude. We read here that he was moved with the compassion for them and healed their sick. He did something about it. I like the story of, of one evening when a Scotsman was riding in his limousine and he saw two men along the road eating grass. Disturbed, he yelled at his driver to stop and, and go investigate, find out what's going on. He asked the man, why are you eating grass? He says, well, we don't have any money for food, the poor man replied, and so we have to eat grass. Well, then you come to my house and, and I'll feed you, the Scotsman said. But sir, I have a wife and two children with me. They're over there under that tree. Okay, bring them along too, the Scotsman replied. Turning to the other poor man, he said, uh, you come with us also, the second man said, well, you know, uh, sir, I also have a wife and seven children with me. He said, very well, bring them all, you know, uh, we'll take them all, the Scotsman answered. They all piled into his limousine, which was no easy task. Once underway, one of the poor fellows turned to the Scotsman and said, sir, you're truly too kind. Thank you for taking all of us with you. 
The Scotsman replied, no problem. Glad to do it. You'll really love my place. The grass is almost a foot high where I live. Okay, I wouldn't call that compassion. (laughs) But you see, here's the Lord. He hears his cousin, his close friend John is gone. He then looks at this crowd. He's filled with compassion for them and he does something about it. He heals their sick. Yeah, he spent a quiet moment in prayer with his father. He found a quick moment of peace and quiet and then turns and shows compassion on the people around him and he heals them. Do you believe that that God is compassionate towards you today? That he knows what you're going through and 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 he's compassionate towards you, towards that? Let me ask you this. Do you have that same kind of love for the people God has put around you? To be able to have that same heart of compassion for people who are hurting? Now maybe this morning take the time to to, to church and actually take the next step and, and ask someone to go to lunch afterwards. Get to know them after service. Maybe help see what's going on in their lives and try to help meet that need. To have a heart that Jesus has. I mean, what an opportunity we have to follow the Lord's example here in Matthew 14 and be able to show compassion for those that are around us, for those that Lord, the Lord has brought into our lives. Now, maybe you're sensing, well, that you have a, a lack of compassion for those around you. Maybe you got a boss at work and something happened to him and you said, good, he deserves it. Or, or someone you, you've had some disagreements with and you find out they were ripped off or some trial's hitting their life and you say, good, they deserve it. That'll teach them. But then you come to church and you read together how Jesus has compassion on those that don't deserve it. How he blessed them. How he met their needs. You hear how we're to love our enemies and, and pray for those who despitefully use you. How we're not to keep track of suffered wrongs. How we're, we're to forgive one another just as Christ has forgiven us. And we go... Why well, don't like that? I don't want to show compassion on these people. You don't know what they did to me. But you see, it's the Spirit of God through the Word of God that speaks to our hearts and, and gives us an opportunity to go, you know what? I'm going to do what Jesus says. I'm going to do what is right. We have the opportunity to obey the Lord as we hear the Word of God speak to our hearts. Jesus showed compassion on the people by healing the sick, but He does even more than that. Look at verse 15. When it was evening... His disciples came to him saying, This is a deserted place and the hour is already late. Send the multitudes away that they may go into the villages and buy themselves food. But Jesus said to them, They do not need to go away. You give them something to eat. And they said to him, We have here only five loaves and two fish. He said, Bring them here to me. I mean, here's another opportunity. What is it? Well, first we saw they had the opportunity to repent. Then we have the opportunity to believe that Jesus is compassionate. Number three, if you're taking notes, we have the opportunity to believe that Jesus has a plan. He has a plan. Do you know that God has a plan for your life? Whatever it is you're facing today, God has a plan and a purpose in it. He had a plan for that particular day, but guess what? The disciples, they also had a plan for that day. What was their plan? Verse 15. Send these multitudes away that they may go into the village and buy themselves some food. Lord, send them home, to send them to, to the restaurants. In the same way, maybe you have a plan. Maybe you have a plan how, how you think things need to be. Lord, this is the way I, I see that things need to work out. And, and let's just do it this way and we're going to be fine. Lord, here it is. If I could just win the lottery, that, that'll solve everything. Lord, here it is. My plan is to file bankruptcy and move on. 
Here it is, Lord. My plan is just, just give me a miracle and, and heal me of this sickness. Lord, here's my, here's my plan. My plan is just to call it quits in my marriage and everything's going to be fine. The Lord says, that's not the plan I have for you. And right now you have the opportunity as believers as to whether to believe in his plan or to go out on your own plans. And here's the thing. We know that his plans are always better for us. Isaiah 55, 9, For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. Jeremiah 29, 11, For I know the thoughts that I think towards you, says the Lord, thoughts of peace and not of evil, to give you a future and a hope. Psalm 37, 5, Commit your way to the Lord, trust also in Him, and He shall bring it to pass. We need to believe in His plans. The disciples, they're focusing on the problem. How many times do we do that? Do we focus on the problem instead of focusing on God's plan to get us through the problem? Let me say that again. How many times do we focus on the problem instead of focusing on God's plan to get us through the problem? Now, John chapter 6, you don't need to turn there, but in John 6, we're given the same story, although John puts a different spin on it in the sense that at this particular time in the story, Jesus turns to Philip, one of the disciples, and says, Hey, Phil, this is a deserted place. Nobody brought any dinner. So, so what's your plan? Philip, we need to feed these guys. What's your plan? How are we going to feed all these people? You, you came from Miranda. This is where you grew up. Philip says, Lord, I got no plan. Got nothing. In fact, there's nothing open. Even if there was something open, we can afford to uh, feed this many people. I mean, we need 200 denarii of money. That's about nine months salary at that time to pay for all the food to feed all those people. Philip says, I got no plan. But you see, the Lord tells us that, that he would ask Philip and the disciples that question to test their hearts, to see whether or not that they would trust him for his plan. Jesus knew what was going on. Jesus knew about John the Baptist before the guys ever came and told him about John the Baptist. Jesus knew that the place that they would go to would be desolate and dry. It would be a pit of a place. And he knew that he would come and he would test the disciples' hearts at that place. And he knew what he was going to do. The question to us is, if we believe him for the opportunity for him to accomplish his plan in our lives. Now, if you say, I am believing God and God's plan for my life, then you're ready for the fourth opportunity. To believe Jesus with everything you've got. That's number four. And that's what happens next in our story. Jesus says, I've got a plan. The disciple says, we've got a plan. Send them home. The Lord says, no, that's not the plan. You've got to feed them right here. Now, a little more insight into this. John chapter 6, verse 8, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, said to Jesus, there's a lad here who has five barley loaves and two small fish, but what are they among so many? So we know where the five barley loaves and the two fish came from. From this young boy that, that Andrew says, hey, this boy, this kid's got, some, got his lunch, you know, but it's really nothing. You know, he's, he's offered it to us, but what can you do with something so small? Jesus says, hey, bring it to me. In other words, here's the opportunity for you to bring everything you've got to the Lord and see what the Lord can do with it. I think that quite honestly in our story today, there's only one that has done this, and, and he's this unnamed kid who had his lunch and, and is, is not willing to be like any other kid I know. You know, it's not, not my lunch. It's my lunch. It's what lunch my mom made. You know, I'm not sharing with anybody. No, he does the opposite. He says, yeah, here, it's what I got. Whatever can help, here it is, Lord. Whatever you want. Wow. Why don't we do that? Why aren't we more like this little boy? Because we got a lot more stuff than the little boy had. And having a lot more, it's harder to let God have everything. 
But think about this, folks. Isn't it all a bunch of crumbs and smelly fish in comparison to what Jesus Christ could give you in its place? I mean, you could have a bar note full of goods, but what is that compared to what the Lord has for you in heaven? It's nothing. It's squat. It's crumbs, crumbs left on the table. But when we are willing, like this little guy did, to just give everything over to the Lord and say, Lord, my life is yours. My possessions are yours. My kids are yours. My marriage is yours. It's only then that miracles take place. See, this miracle doesn't take place until it's given it in the hands of Jesus. It's not until you hand it over to him. I mean, do you think that this mom, when she made that lunch, that it was going to be used to feed 5,000 people that morning? No, that's not when the miracle happened. She didn't make 5,000 lunches and more, you know. The miracle doesn't happen even at the hands of the disciples. The miracle happens when you hand it over to the Lord and trust him with everything you've got. You may say, oh, Tom, I don't know if I'm ready to do that yet. What if the kid said that? What if the kid said, nope, my lunch. And everybody goes away, missed out on this blessing. How many times in our lives have we held on too tightly and said, Lord, mine, and we've missed out on a blessing? See, he can't bless you until you give everything over to him. And when you give everything over to him, he always gives more. I mean, it's multiplied. That's what happened with a small little gift of faith. But sometimes I think, think the other thing is sometimes I think our, our gift of faith to the Lord is so small, so insignificant, that why even bother to give it to Him at all? You know, maybe some of you, as opposed to having barn loads full of stuff, you, you have nothing whatsoever. You say, what's the point? It just doesn't matter. I mean, that's what Andrew said. Lord, you know, we just got this, this lunch here, but what is that amongst so many? You know, God, again, is able to take something so little and feed them all to the point where they're, they're, they're filled. And he can do a lot with the little if you give him the opportunity and you're willing to trust him with everything you've got. I think that was the heart of David and Goliath. I mean, he could have walked away and said, oh man, that, that Goliath is huge. I got nothing. What am I got to go up against this guy? I can't even fit in the armor that they've given me. I got to take this stuff off. All I got is a few rocks. I've got nothing, Lord. But, but you know what David knew? He knew that if he handed everything over to the Lord, that having the Lord with him was all that he needed. That's all you need. If you've got God on your side, you've got the majority. So David goes out, and it wasn't like, you know, he misses, you know, two or three or four stars. Oh, I missed, I missed, miss, you know. The one little rock, first shot, right between the eyes, and down he goes. Because David knew that nothing is little in the size of the Lord. It's that step of faith and trusting in him with everything you've got, knowing that he loves to multiply and bless you beyond belief. Or I think about the story of Gideon. I mean, look at his life. He thought he had a lot going for him. He had an army the size of 32,000 men. All right, I got 32,000 men. We're ready to go. Giant move, something big's going to happen. And the Lord pulls him to the side and says, uh, Gideon, uh, you got too many guys. In fact, let's all excuse all those that are a little bit skittish and afraid to go into battle. Wait a minute, Lord. You don't understand. Warm bodies, I mean, it's good. It makes me feel better. We can get all the help we can get. Lord, we can use all these guys. And the Lord says, nope, nope, no, we can't. Go ahead and let the ones go home who are scared and watch what I'll, I'll, I'll do, Gideon. So I can imagine Gideon going to the guys and saying, Hey, I know this won't be the case with all of you guys, but, but uh, there may be some of you that are, that are cowards, that are, that are afraid, that are chickens, that are uh, you know, really wimpy and, and weak and afraid and, and want to go home. And if that's you, that's you, then go ahead and go home. And 22,000 leave. <laughs> they bail on him. So now Gideon's left to say, Lord, I had 32,000 guys. We were looking good. Then 22,000 left. Now I only got 10,000 left. 
I mean, what is that compared to the enemy out there? We're going to get killed with only 10,000. The Lord says, relax. You still got a little bit too many. In fact, some of these guys look really thirsty to me. Part. So go ahead, send them down to the creek, down to the pond, let them drink. And the ones that drink, you know, scooping up and looking around, you know, their heads looking in case the enemy might show up, those are my boys. The rest of them that bury their head in the water and start, you know, just gall- drinking up by gallons, you know, and they can care less about anything else but meeting their own needs, send them on home. Now how many are left? 300. Gideon's response, Lord, what is going on here? This is not what I expected. There was so little. How this, how this is going to work out? And I think in our same story here, the disciples said, Lord, here's the little guy with a little lunch. I can't see how this is going to work out. Lord says, give me the opportunity. Give me the opportunity. If you're trusting me, giving me everything you've got to then sit back and watch what happens. Remember what happened with Gideon? Lord promised Gideon he was going to get the victory on that day and it was going to be the Lord that does it. In fact, these 300 guys were just going to stand and, and watch. In fact, God says, uh, Gideon, give each one of these guys a trumpet, a torch, and an empty clay pot. Imagine what Gideon said there. Oh, great. These are great weapons of warfare. Got a torch, a pot, and a trumpet. Uh, just beat them over the head with a trumpet. And what are we going to do? But he gives it to his men anyway. They get the trumpet and the little torch. Then the Lord says, okay, I want you to put the torch in the pot. Put the torch in the pot. Uh, Lord, you gave us three things and now one of them were hiding. Then he says, I, I, want to, I want you to surround the army up there in the hill and when I give you the word, I want you to blow the trumpet, crack the pot, let the light shine forth and stand in amazement at what I am going to do for you. So he obeys. And he gets up and, and they surround the place and the Lord says, blow, and they do and they start blowing the trumpet and they crack the pots and the light shines forth and the Midianites all wake up and say, oh, what's going on? Look at all these lights. Look, and this must be a mighty army. It looks like, you know, a, you know, traffic at, at, at traffic time, five o'clock in the evening. And then horns and bright lights and cracking the pots freaked out the Midianites. So much so that they start killing each other. And Gideon's there and his men, they didn't move a muscle. They just watched it and watched the deliverance of the Lord. That's God. That is God blessing you and giving you the opportunity today and seeing that He is compassionate. And seeing that he wants you to believe in his plan. And seeing that you've got to trust him with everything you've got. And then you know what happens? Well, back in Matthew 14, we'll see. Look at verse 19. Then he commanded the multitude to sit down on the grass. And he took the five loaves and the two fish. And looking up to heaven, he blessed and broke and gave the loaves to the disciples. And the disciples gave to the multitudes. So they all ate and were filled, and they took up twelve baskets full of fragments that remained. Now those who had eaten were about five thousand men, besides women and children. I love it. Nowhere it says they, they ate and were filled. Literally in the Greek, they were gluttoned. They big macked out. They ate more than they had ever eaten in their lives. And in fact, not only did they eat up until they were filled, but it says they took up twelve baskets full of leftovers. That's a lot of leftovers. How did it happen? By taking the opportunity to do what Jesus said to do. That's our final point. The final opportunity is it for you to do what Jesus says. To do what Jesus says. Same opportunity we have every Sunday morning at the end of the Bible study. Same opportunity you have at the end of your quiet time in the morning as you're in God's Word. Same opportunity you have after Jesus speaks to your heart. You have the opportunity to do what Jesus tells you to do. 
Listen, I don't know what you're going through. I've shared this many times. I have people come up to me after service and say, how did you know what I was going through? You said exactly the same thing that I'm struggling with. And I tell them, we actually have cameras in your home and we see what's going on. (laughs) No, it's the Spirit of God through the Word of God that's speaking to your heart. And we know our verse for the year, Hebrews 4.12, for the word of God is living and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the division of soul and spirit and joints and marrow. It is the discerner of the thoughts and the intents of the heart. See, here the people had the same opportunity. Upon hearing the words of Jesus, uh, the word of God, how, how would they respond? Would they respond? Would they do what Jesus said to do? See, over in Luke's gospel, chapter uh, Nine, I think it is. Uh, he tells us uh, the same story there. Tells that Jesus commanded the people to sit down and they're to, pl- to be placed in the groups of 50 and to 100. So he tells them, okay, I want you to break up groups of 50 and 100. And then he tells his disciples to go and pass out the food to the different groups of 50 and 100. So they take a basket with them. They go and they pass it out, you know, and with it. And, and, and they go and they, they feed these people. Now, when they, they we're done with the, the basket, the basket's empty. Guess where they go? They go right back to Jesus, where he's waiting for them with more fish and more bread. So they get their baskets filled up again. They go out again to another 50, another 100, and they feed them again until that basket's gone. Then they come back again, back to the Lord, and and there's more people. The Lord, okay, keeps filling up the baskets, and they keep going out. I mean, that's just the Lord blessing the person's life by giving him or her the opportunity for obedience and to be used by the Lord to multiply and bless others around them. I mean, notice that it says there are 5,000 men plus women and children. Legitimately, there could be upwards of fifteen to 20,000 people being fed when you count the, the children and, and the wives. And again, we read that they took up 12 baskets full of the fragments that remained. They had an abundance of leftovers. Each one of those 12 that helped pass out Jesus' miracle was blessed in the end with a basket each for themselves. None of that would have been possible if the disciples didn't do what the Lord said, if the people didn't do what the Lord said. If they said, no, you know, we're going to go look for some food for ourselves. We better try to solve this problem on our own. Jesus would have let them, and they would have missed out on an amazing miracle. All comes back down to doing what Jesus said to do, to take him at his word. See, that's what compassion looks like. That's what believing Jesus has a plan looks like. That's what believing Jesus with everything that you've got looks like and then doing what he says looks like. Miracles, blessings, provisions, healings, satisfaction, abundance. May we live like that to show the compassion of the Lord to others even in the darkest, dreariest, and depressing of days. May we look to Jesus and trust in his plan and give him everything we've got our whole lives. And as you do, I guarantee you, like this crowd, you will leave her with more than what you came here with because he loves to bless us. And I think one of the hardest things that, that, that we learn as well as one of the hardest things to, to teach our children is that of unselfishness. We are selfish a lot of times. We're selfish of our finances, of our gifts that God has given to us. But again, what we need to understand is that everything we have as believers is the Lord's. It belongs to him. And he allows us the privilege to distribute the things that he has to others around us. The things that we have taken in, we in turn need to be good stewards over those things that God has given to us, to those who are hungry, you know, to give out. Not, not, in many different ways, not just in the stomach. 
May God help us to realize the power of God as we give what little we have to him and allow his hand to multiply it and to produce fruit from it. See, it's all about opportunities. For us as believers, we're told in Second Chronicles 69, for the eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the whole earth to show himself strong on behalf of those whose hearts are loyal to him. God stands ready to do things through us. He's looking for you, looking for me to do things. He's chosen you. And he's chosen me to be a channel of blessing in other people's lives. And I think that's one of the, the greatest blessings we can know in this life is to be used by God to bless others. Yeah, we have the privilege to follow him, to be used by him, and, and allow him to pour his power through us so that we can share the bread of eternal life with a hungry world. Galatians 6.10 says this, Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all, especially to those who are the household of faith. Opportunity knocks. So as we close, what are some of the ways we can answer the door and, and be a blessing to others? I think it, it can begin with prayer. Certainly we can be praying for others. It can lead to maybe giving a phone call, checking in on someone that you, you haven't seen in a while, offering them words of encouragement, maybe giving a helping hand to someone. Say, oh, I don't have a lot of skills. I can't really do anything. Well, you can go and just sit and talk with them. It's using the gifts and the talents that God has given you to help others and share what you have with someone. Let's look for opportunities to give out what the Lord has so richly blessed us with. And we'll finally find that you can't outgive God. The more you keep giving out, and the more you come back to the Lord, the Lord says, here, I've got some more for you to give out. I've got some more for you to give out. And it just keep, it's just a constant flow of giving out from the Lord. Finally, as we close, we know that there are many of those around us that are trying to fill that emptiness in their lives with other things that can only be filled by Jesus. Many are hungry, but they aren't going to the right place for food. A lot of people today, they're, they're looking to achieve the American dream. Let me tell you, that's not where it's at. So many people try to fill that emptiness with so many different things, more money, more possessions, a different relationship, a different job. Well, my plan is this or my plan is that. None of that's going to bring you satisfaction. You will still be empty. It's like Chinese food. You eat, you eat, you eat, you eat an hour later, you're still hungry, you know. <laughs> Again, it's all about opportunities. Going back to our first point, the opportunity to repent. Herod had the opportunity to repent and he refused and his life was empty even to the day he died. This morning, if you don't know Jesus Christ, you have the opportunity to come to him in faith and say, Lord, I'm sorry for my sin. Forgive me. I give my life completely over to you. If you do that this morning, I promise you, God hears that prayer and he will forgive you and he will bless you and he'll change your life. But you've got to come to him. You've got to give your life to him. Say, Lord, I'm sorry. I want you to do that. I, I, I want to give you that opportunity this morning if you don't know the Lord. Opportunity knocks. Jesus is knocking. In fact, he said this in Revelation 3.20. Behold, I stand at the door knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and dine with him and he with me. If you don't know the Lord this morning, I want to give you that opportunity. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for this time. We thank you for your word. We thank you, Lord, that you are God of miracles that you can take a broken down life, run down, overrun with sin, and you can turn it around and cleanse a person and use them to bring you glory. And Father, we see that you are still in the business of miracles today by the people that are here, that you have, you have washed them of their sin, you have washed us of our sin, and you've done a miracle in our lives. 
And Father, I pray if there's anyone here that has yet to experience the miracle of the forgiveness of their sin, they've, they've yet to repent of their sin and turn from it and turn to you, Lord. I pray that you'd especially touch their heart this morning. Lord, that they would say, as we've learned, Lord, that, that Lord, I give my life to you. Everything I have is yours. Allow, Lord, you to take control of their lives, of their marriages, of their finances, of everything, Lord, that they would just surrender to you this morning. While our heads are bowed and our eyes are closed, is there anyone here that you want to give your life to Jesus Christ this morning? You want your sin forgiven. I want to give you that opportunity to repent and turn to Christ and come to know Him today as your Lord and your Savior. If that's your desire, just raise your hand so I can pray for you this morning. Anybody at all? Just, just between you and the Lord. Just raise your hand so I can see it. Father, we thank you for your love, your grace in our lives, Lord, that we could be before you this morning, forgiven, cleansed. Lord, help us now to walk as you walk, Lord, to show compassion, mercy, grace to people to be a help. Lord, to rely on you for everything we have, Lord, and to be used by you. Help us, Lord, for those divine opportunities this week, Lord that you would set up divine appointments for us, that we might be used by you to spread your love and grace to this world that is quickly coming to a close, Lord. We thank you for this time. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's all